On this week's episode, hard-boiled truck driver Jack Burton gets caught in a bizarre conflict within and underneath San Francisco's Chinatown. An ancient Chinese prince and a Chinatown crime lord has kidnapped a beautiful green-eyed woman who is the fiancé to Jack's best friend, Wang. Jack must help his friend rescue the girl before the evil Lo Pen uses her to break the ancient curse that keeps him a fleshless and immortal spirit. This is Movie Time Machine. Welcome to Movie Time Machine, where we take movies from the past and relive them in the present. On this week's show, we'll be discussing the film Big Trouble in Little China. Directed by John Carpenter, starring Kurt Russell, Kim Cattrall, and Dennis Dunn. But before we dive into this week's topics, let's introduce you to the Time Machine panel and let everyone know what we've been watching. Hey Chad, this is Jamie, and I just re-watched, probably for the fourth or fifth time, National Lampoon's Vacation, and I'm happy to report that it is still as funny as it was the first time I saw it. What have you been watching? I just started watching. Well, I've been like, we have had like kind of a little break here in recording, but I've been watching like a run of uh, late '70s kung fu films, uh, like Thirty Six Chambers, uh, The Five Venoms. Uh, but this week, I just started watching it was episode one of the War of the World series on uh, Epics or Epics, whatever that channel is called. So, which is, I'm always a sucker for War of the Worlds. Um, and it's kind of actually like the first, it's like an hour long, like the first 40 minutes of it is quite boring. It kinda, it's almost set up like a blockbuster movie, how they're kind of pulling in all these other characters that are obviously going to come together um, sometime in the series. But the ending was like, felt like The Walking Dead. So I'm just kind of interested on in where it goes. But um, I have really no valid review or opinion on this series because I'm just a sucker for or the worlds. So, did you like the Spielberg version with Tom Cruise? Um, it was it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, like I, I mean, it was okay. Well, I was just gonna say, I thought it was pretty watchable. I know it's not everyone's favorite, but I, I never had a problem with it. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Yeah, it was. I mean, it wasn't bad. You right. Know, it was like, yeah, it's a movie. You know, it was, it, was, it, was a movie. <laughs> it was a deep movie. Yeah, yeah. So I remember. I can't remember how that movie went. That I thought like the ending was a little controversial. Maybe I thought it was or the same as was, the book, where they just it's gonna like just like like disease or whatever kind of yeah normal viruses or whatever ended up killing them. Yeah, the aliens caught the coronavirus and right that they was caught the, the end of that. Something like that. Yeah, did you ever see like the uh, original like 1950s War of the Worlds? I never did. No, I I never saw that one. Nor did I hear the radio broadcast that made me believe that the aliens were attacking. Did you? Who's in Who's in the 50s version? Um, I don't think anybody notable. <laughs> <laughs> but I just I really loved watching that movie as a kid. And I always thought like the the spaceship designs for that movie I thought were really cool. Hmm. I'm gonna have to go back and revisit it. I love old sci-fi, especially '50s, where the effects are from the 1950s. I love that stuff. Yeah, it looks. I'm saying this. I haven't seen it in a while, but I would say that it, it 
holds up for the most part. And it's in color, so it's like I think it was like on that verge of that era where like we we went from like that black and white sci-fi to color film. So I think it it still holds up. I think today for the most part. Except for I think like the heat ray from like the aliens, it just looks like sparks or something that's shooting out. But that's cool. I really like the the alien ship designs um, from that series awesome. or from that movie. I bet John Carpenter was a fan too. <laughs> Speaking of John Carpenter, um, why don't we jump into the movie discussion? So we're just gonna let's do a review of the film. Um, then after we talk about the film and just talk about the box office a little bit, uh, Jamie, you're going to end the podcast with uh, some of your own and, uh, personal stories from Chinatown. Yeah, you bet. That sounds great. All right. So, Jamie, I believe this is your first time watching this film. That is correct. It's um, It was my first time watching it, which is kind of surprising because it um, fits that 80s nostalgia niche that you know i feel like there's a canon you know that a very specific group of gen xers have in their back pocket and i think this is one of those movies and i've seen most of the other movies so it's weird to me that i've missed it and it's got such an iconic poster you know not even seeing the movie i'm familiar with that poster and i love kurt russell i love john carpenter this one just slipped through the cracks for me but chad you're a big fan right yeah i mean (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't say a huge fan, but this is always a movie that I always kind of forget about, like, actually what the plot was from it. But you spoke about, like, the movie poster, like, kind of sticking out to you even before you saw this film. And always the movie poster, to me, always, like, reminded me of, like, a cover of, like, a Nintendo game or something, like the old NES carts. It's just something about, like, the the artwork on yeah. that poster. But, yeah, really... I don't. I really like this movie. Like, I think I maybe had seen it maybe a year after it came out. Um, you know, again, probably like the summer staying with like, you know, grandma. My cousin was visiting, and it was probably on HBO or Cinemax or something like that. But yeah, this movie is just crazy. It kind of has a, everything that is so typical of like a an '80s action film as well. You know, you got like the the martial arts fights, and you have like the uh gun scenes with the heavy use of like uzis <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's lots of uzi use usage in this film um but yeah and just like the, the i think that's how the characters play out too is just almost like a, a video game like running through like the different levels and different stages and like the it's almost like there's boss fights in this film i i would buy that there seems to be a lot of crossover too between john carpenter and just video game and nerd culture writ large i the the first one i was aware of was um escape from new york and snake plissken and just how hideo kojima took that um and based solid snake off of kurt russell's character in that movie so it was kind of cool to see big trouble and i know we discussed um the three three ninjas for lack of a better term the thunder rain and lightning and how they're kind of um represented in the mortal Kombat series our our boy uh david lopan um, was also inspiration for um was it shang sung 
Oh yeah, Shang Tsung, the, the yeah. Reaper of Souls. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and there's also moments too. I was just today. I was playing this movie like in the background while I was at work. So I was just like kind of listening to the audio, not really paying attention to um, the action on screen. But um, there's parts of the score too that were like, oh, totally like they totally lifted this for uh, like the Mortal Kombat theme music for some of the characters as well. Um, yeah. And speaking of John Carpenter, who did the soundtrack for the entire film. Um, it's got that John Carpenter vibe as well. That's very like cheesy, like synth '80s kind of pop sound yes. to it as well. That kind of carries the vibe of the film. Does he? As, okay, so as a as a Gen Xer fan of the '80s, does he get enough yeah. credit for the quote sound of the '80s? Because I think you're right on with that. With his synthesizer, you know, the music that comes. Halloween was not the '80s, but you know, it's that spirit that that transition um, with the synthesizer theme. I yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, you know, it kind of makes me think. Are you familiar with like Max Hedrum? No. It's it's almost got like the same vibe. That's just what it makes me think of. It's like Max Hedrum. It's kind of like this, like futuristic kind of cyberpunk vibe to it as well. I feel like that's where like that that theme of music kind of sticks to more, mm-hmm. but it, but it's also kind of his influence. And in like, I feel like the eighties, um, even like video game soundtracks, you can kind of see and, or you can hear that connection too. If you if you go back and listen to like old NES, um, soundtracks and stuff like that. Yeah. That's a great call. What were your feelings about this film? So, Did you okay. like it or Yeah. <laughs> It's um, it's a tricky, it's a tricky mix because I think for the first half watching this movie now in 2020, for the first half of the film, I did this intellectual dance of, <laughs> frankly, is this movie racist? Like, <laughs> right, right. It's it's called Big Trouble in Little China, so we know that we're dealing with um, Chinatown Chinese culture in some way, and. There's, um, you know, Jack Burton, played by Kurt Russell, who I won't I won't give him the trumper tag. I don't think that's fair, and I don't like to put that on anybody that's like a loud white male who drives a truck. Right. right. I don't think that's fair, but he's definitely flirting with the line. So you know, it's like <laughs> all of these modern triggers that I'm bringing into this movie that I'm you know watching it with that lens. But yeah, and. I, the, you know, so the more I got into it and he sits down and plays dominoes with Wang or is it dice? I can't remember if it's dominoes or dice. Anyway, they're gambling. Yeah. And that's kind of how he gets pulled into that story in that world. And, you know, just the more they go through it and the more characters you meet, it's clear that Carpenter is drawing from different lore in different movies and like i don't have the vocabulary quite like you might with more of your kung fu knowledge but it's clear that he's not being um dismissive or poking fun he's actually trying to you know play in their sandbox and call on their hits you know of chinese culture in america at least that was how i interpreted the movie 
Yeah, I think, and just some of the like, reading I had done with some of the Chinese American actors in the film was they really loved what this film did for them because this was a film in the 80s with Chinese American individuals in this film and where they were speaking English without a Chinese accent. Yes. And just how important that was to like me in a film like this. So after reading that, I was like, maybe, I mean, without, I feel like in, with any old film, you're probably going to find something that maybe doesn't age as well as you really look back on it. Like, oh, maybe that's a little racist. But um, after reading that, kind of looking through it with that lens as well, mm-hmm. um, I couldn't really find too much in this film that where I could say like, ooh, that's, that's pretty bad. But one thing I did notice too, like I don't want to get too sidetracked, is like, did you notice like any like the I think it's like Cantonese that is being spoken in this movie that there aren't any subtitles for it? No, I had no idea. Yeah, like I'm just like, wow, that's <laughs> that's crazy. And there's only one scene where Kim Cattrall and Dennis Dunn's character is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like his brother are going down the elevator and they're going down with like one of the storms. Oh, that's the only part where like the like he's talking to Thunder. And um, as he's speaking, he's like translating. And that's like the only part yeah. that you get any like Cantonese translation in the film. So whatever that holds or whatever that means, I just thought that was kind of interesting. And like what I wonder what angle or specific angle that was taken in the movie. But yeah, no, I think that's a great there wasn't call. Anything special about that, but yeah, it, especially because if you go to Chinatown and you spend time there, that's that's the way it is. I mean, you know, if you're a tourist or um, you know, even even a local, if you know, you might not they you the shop owner might not speak English with you. That's you know, that that might be <laughs> right. the experience you have there. Right. So, I think it's clever in that way too. Yeah, well, thing I mean, I really like the Jack Burton character even though he you, you said he kind of does for that ride that that line of uh i mean is this guy like a total like redneck douche or because he's just always worried about is getting his truck back yeah essentially while uh uh his buddy wang is you know trying to get back his girl that he's been waiting all these years to get reunited with and just like his fucking one-liners to um, his own like little montage. Maniac grabs your neck, taps the back of your favorite head up against a barroom wall, and he looks at Cryptid in the eye, and he asks you if you've paid your dues. But you just stare that big sucker right back in the eye, and you remember what old Jack Burton always says at a time like that. Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir, the check is in the mail. Well, and I think only an actor of Kurt Russell's caliber could pull that off, so tongue-in-cheek, where... He's, it's, it's ridiculous, but he's so good at it that it also isn't so ridiculous as to be off-putting. It's, right. it's charming. Right. And yeah, I think, yeah, that's more of a testament to his skill than anything else. Which is probably why, you know, Carpenter casts him in so many of his movies. They work well together and they just, they kind of speak each other's language. Yeah, who was originally? I think that originally they wanted to cast like a. Well, it was like still in the writing phase, like a Clint Eastwood or like Jack Nicholson. 
Ooh, that would not have worked. No, either of those. No. Not at all. And I think originally, too, it started out as supposed to be like a Western film. Hmm. Yep, it was envisioned as a Western set in the 1880s. In the 1880s. Um, yeah. That's messier, because then you have the <laughs> Chinese building the railroads. Right. Not that it couldn't right. be done, it would just be way more involved and probably more difficult to stick the landing. What do you think about the character uh, Egg Shen? <laughs> Egg, Egg <laughs> Shen. Oh, he... <laughs> so, I, Victor Wong is always one of those actors who he um you recognize him you're not sure why and he's in um the the first thing i think of is three ninjas just um as a kid i i think my brother and i rented that from blockbuster countless times i mean that was the you know era of the home alone movie the kids are turning it on the adults and he plays the grandpa to the kids who know ninjutsu in that movie but He's had a couple other good comedy roles, like he's in Tremors. He's definitely um, played more for laughs, but also, you know, is a wizened old sorcerer, and I, I think that works too. I, I He's just a unique actor, and I, I think he's really funny. I don't know, his character works for me, especially his, you know, tour bus, and that's how he's introduced the Egg Foo Young tours or whatever. And yeah. <laughs> He, um, you know, he, what's the word, masks with that uh, Chinese accent, you know, the accentuated version that people make fun of. Yeah. And so, so you're not sure who he is, you know, his knowledge isn't um, given to you. Well, I guess it is with the opening scene, but, you know, you kind of forget about that pretty quickly and then you realize, okay, he is pretty important and... I don't know. His character works for me. Like, I don't know what he's doing. He's pulling out these uh, light grenades from his pocket and saving the day. <laughs> and it, it doesn't need an explanation for me. It just it just works. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I think my favorite scene with him is when he makes the drinks for everybody. Um, it's like when they're getting ready to go um, confront like the kind of bring up the ceremony that uh, low pan is doing to marry the green-eyed girl mm-hmm. they, he makes the six demon bag drink oh good can see things no one else can see do things no one else can do real things as real as low pan hey what more can a guy ask for oh the six demon bag terrific a six demon bag sensational what's in it egg twin fire drink for everyone and they drink it. Oh, yes. I remember this now. <laughs> it's like, then it's the next scene. They're going down the elevator. And everyone is just like kind of standing there. And Kurt Russell's like, I feel pretty good. I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about not, this. Uh, not scared at all. I just feel kind of, feel kind of invincible. <laughs> me too. I got a very positive attitude about this. Good. Me too. Yeah. Is it getting hot in here? Is it just me? Uh, we did talk about the Furies or the Storms. Um inspiring Mortal Kombat characters. Uh, Raiden. So we get Raiden. Then um, we kind of talked about just a little bit on our walks if it was like inspiration for like some of the ninja characters too. Like there was like Rain. Um, smoke. Smoke. 
I know we were having this discussion, and I was like, oh, were well, there like three secret ones? But end up, it seemed like there was like 500 of them. <laughs> right. Ermac. Smoke. Ermac. Reptile. Yep. I play a pretty good uh, Scorpion, even though he's kind of, you know, a bit of a bit of a broken cheater character. Right. Did you like this film? I really did. It took, yeah. um, it took me a while to get into it just because it's so... It kind of starts out slow. <laughs> it does. Like, well, and you're not sure where it's going. And ultimately, yes. that ends up being, a, you know, the film's best reward and surprise. But right. from the start going in cold, it's, you know, very confusing. And um, But like you said, once you get past that, once we get into the plot and we figure out who these people are, why this group captured Miao Yin. It really gets going once we meet Lopan because um, he's ah, Carpenter's so good with making monsters, you know, I, right. It's, right. it's hard not to think about Michael Myers when you see Lopan, just the, um, <laughs> the, they're completely different, but just the way that he can, evoke uh, the presence of a villain on screen that way is um, hard to beat. It makes for a great character. He's a, he's a wonderful bad guy. What did you think of Kim Cattrall? Gracie Law. You know, rewatching this, I was like, God, why is she so familiar? <laughs> Not that I was a big Sex and the City fan, uh-huh. but I mean, that shit was like everywhere, you know, when that was on. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, she's <laughs> she's really good in this movie, though. She is. Again, I never watched Sex and the She's kind of the same character. <laughs> she is. At least from what I've seen, but... No, I think she's really good in this movie. Yeah, she really... I So I would catch Sex and the City here and there. I never, you know, was a, a dedicated viewer, but Samantha always just did something for me. That character... Yeah. Kim Cattrall herself, it's very fair to say that I had a huge crush on Kim Cattrall. Oh. So seeing her <laughs> in this movie was a welcome delight. And she, she's like you said, she's really good. I mean, her chemistry with Kurt Russell is undeniable. And it's kind of cool that they leave that um, story open-ended. And yeah, I don't know. I thought um, everything about her character worked. Let's just dive into the box office numbers here, quick. It was budget hit a twenty five million dollar budget, but it only brought in eleven million. Siskel and Ebert gave it two stars. Ugh, you look on Rotten Tomatoes. It's seventy seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It has an eighty two percent audience score. Then on IMDb, it's has a seven point three. I think I read too. Like I, this movie was not even in theaters very long i think a lot of theaters pulled it after like three or four days oh wow it was done i think it's i think it's fair to say this is a cult classic though you know i think it earned that um notoriety along the way wouldn't you say yeah definitely i feel like and that's i feel like that's uh, john carpenter's track record yeah totally. <laughs> it was almost like he knew nerd culture before it was cool Yes. And I think as like nerd culture has become <laughs> yes more acceptable. <laughs> yes. Not as nerdy, um, but I think that's what's kind of built like this cult falling over the years. 
and the movie too like the the special effects in this movie are awesome yeah i agree like yeah and this movie is everything about this movie looks really good and um when we i think we're gonna do they live next like when you i don't know if you watched that yet but if you like compare how this movie looks visually to they live it see it's almost like it looked they live looks like it came out like 20 years or 10 years before this movie did and they they live came out in 88 and this came out in 86 <laughs> which, is, which is wild <laughs> it, yeah you're right and i don't have the um knowledge to say whether that's set design or you know production design or just cinematography whatever it is but you're right yeah. this it looks incredible and all the action sequences the just the geography of the sets and the scenes they're in you know like when um kurt russell's rolling down the slope in the chair um just yeah that whole sequence how that works um is pretty incredible like you're in there you can visualize the hallway it's not a phantom hallway where he's suddenly you know rolling down a hill right yeah i'm trying to see like who what picture motion picture company did this film so yeah so he, this was a 20th century fox production so i think after this movie john carpenter had enough of the big hollywood influence on yeah. his movie too just kind of have dirty paws and everything <laughs> um so after this he maybe this is this is probably why this movie looks better than they live because he went indie again after this movie until oh, like 92 okay. i think when he did like the um the invisible man movie with chevy chase mm-hmm. but so that's probably why this movie <laughs> might be a reason why this movie looks like it does just because of the production company involved with 20th century fox no that's a that's a good call that that makes sense cool all right i'm gonna just run through some kind of quick trivia some facts here about the movie then jamie why don't you share with us some of your chinatown stories unless you have anything you want to add before we segue into this next part no i let's do facts in chinatown stories all right here we go all right uh john carpenter directed big trouble in little china out of his long-standing desire to make martial arts film so i think i already touched on that earlier uh, we also touched on the characters of three storms thunder and rain and lightning would later partially serve as the basis for the character raiden in mortal Kombat fr- franchise and Kurt Russell described his character of Jack Burton as a guy who thinks he's Indiana Jones, but the circumstances are always too much for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yes, I don't know if you like if you just go to YouTube and just search for uh, like Jack Burton quotes. Yeah, <laughs> like there's some he has some really good ones. All right, Jamie, why don't you uh, thrill us with your tales of Chinatown? Your experiences. Yeah. I think you had some family that was sharing some with you as well. I yes, I do. So to set the scene, um, my immediate family, mom, dad, and brother, live in the Bay Area. Uh, mom and dad just outside of San Francisco. My brother lives in the East Bay, but they, my dad, and my brother, both work at a school that's in Chinatown, so they are very familiar with it. I am somewhat familiar just by association. Um, my brother is actually. Uh, 
Chinatown faithful. He loves just eating in a, a, if it's a dim sum restaurant he hasn't been to yet, that's his favorite place that he will be that day. Um, so he's kind of been my guide anytime we go there throughout Chinatown. All right. But so that, that was the first thing I noticed when watching the movie is, um, you know, when Jack is in his semi with Wang and they're, um, initially chasing, uh, the gang for Miao Yin and they turn through these alleys and suddenly, you know, they enter, it's almost like the upside down of Chinatown. You know, it doesn't look like any U.S. city you've ever seen before. And I remember watching this and having to do a double cha- a double take having been to China and being unsure if that was actually the streets within Chinatown. Like, it, it plays these tricks on you because for, the, for those of you who haven't been there, it is literally like if someone took a slice of a Chinese marketplace, uh, bred it with, you know, an American street and plopped it in the middle of an otherwise recognizable American city. Like Chinatown is its own space. It's its own thing. And, um, you recognize it immediately when you're there. So to watch that and see them in this back alley, China version of Chinatown, you wouldn't be mistaken in thinking, wait, is that actually there? Have I, is that a street that I just haven't taken before or that I haven't been down? And, you know, and I don't know, I'm, I'm sure it's a set, you know, I'm sure it's a set, but, but it's so good that it makes you question that. I, did you ever experience that? in your travels to Chinatown, Chad? Boy, it's been it's been over 20 years since I've been there. I vaguely re- I, I don't remember having any of those experiences, but you know, I was just kind of along for the ride. The person that was giving us the tour, I was just kind of like not really paying attention where we were going until we were at our destinations. And I think we just walked around too, so I, long and short of it, I don't remember. I do not recall. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no fair enough but i do remember a lot of places we went like there wasn't um a lot of english speaking but um the people that we were with you know knew the lay of the land and kind of helped us through guiding us through there but yeah yeah it's really cool it's kind of my goal to get back there someday soon totally so. totally well and i think that's um important that you point out that um not everyone speaks english when you're there and when you're there you know unless you're chinese you you do feel like a foreigner right which is right which is a crazy experience and thing to feel like i said in the middle of san francisco tech money you know big I, it's not it's not it doesn't skew maybe necessarily as white anymore, but it's not China, you know? Yeah. So, and, (laughs) and that's, that's kind of what's so cool is to, you know, feel like a visitor in California. And (laughs) I, um, will never forget talking to my brother. We were in a dim sum, dim sum restaurant just eating. And, um, he casually mentions to me cause 
this was probably his fourth or fifth time in that restaurant. Like, oh, did you hear what that, you know, old lady just called us? You know, I was like, no. He was like, <laughs> he was like oh, yeah, you know, she just said, Guaylo. And it's like, wait, what? What did she call us? He's like, Guaylo. And, you know, I asked him, what does that mean? I've never heard that before. And he's like, oh, you know, it's just a term that the locals use for, um, you know, white people who are in and around Chinatown. I was like, oh, that's that's cool. That's weird. What does it mean? He's like, it means ghost person. And oh. I, I shit you not, that <laughs> fucked me up more than any other thing anyone's ever called me before. That wow. was – yeah because – you know, like, you know, I, what, what's, what's another thing you call a white person, like a cracker, whatever that right. one fucked me up. I was like, Oh my God. I, you know, who am I? What's my history? Irish, Scotch, Irish. Is that enough to be cultured? I don't know. Maybe I am a ghost person. Maybe I don't have any unique features about me. Maybe yeah. I am a colonizer. I'm not even joking. It's, <laughs> I don't know what kind of knowledge or wisdom they're drawing on, but I'll be damned if Guaylo didn't really make me think about who I was in the world. I love that. Even though it made you feel that way. (laughs) Right? She blew my mind. She probably didn't even know she did that. Well, at least as a white person with some sort of privilege, you just shake that off. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> no, you, get, you get the privilege of saying like, oh, that's cool. That like kind of fucked with me. Exactly. <laughs> Versus yeah. like having to pass it down generation after generation. Right. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And good on her because in that moment I was a foreigner in her, in yeah. her land. So Stranger in a strange land. Yeah. She was absolutely right. But for what it's worth, the dim sum was delicious. God, I got, I got to get like within the next year. I want to because yeah, my wife she hasn't been to California ever, so I think oh, that's kind of high on my list to travel out there and share that experience with her and. Yeah, there's lots of great places that I would like to go back and see and actually things that I did not get a chance to see when I was out there as well. So, yeah, do you have any other great stories like that from Chinatown um, you'd like to share with uh, those were my listening? two those are my two big ones. I asked yeah. my brother to um, just what does he see every day working in Chinatown? And he said it might sound stereotypical until you see it every day that there is always and he said always without fail an old chinese woman sprinting to catch a bus <laughs> not walking not jogging sprinting to catch a bus so if you see it every day i think it's fair to say that it's not a stereotype <laughs> <laughs> is that a stereotype i don't know I don't know. I don't know. It's 2020. I'm white. Don't hurt Add me, us. Twitter. Don't hurt me. Add us. Movie machine pod. Add us. <laughs> All right. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we start closing this out, Jamie? 
Um, no, I just, yeah, again, want to reemphasize how much fun I think this movie is, how cool it is, um, and really just how cool Chinatown is. Maybe a little underrated. It's a cool place. Check it out if you have the means and the time. Um, yeah, it's a really cool place. It reminds me of, like, a movie that would just be, like, on TBS. Yeah. <laughs> TBS, as uh, Chris would say. <laughs> right. But it's just a real fun movie, and I think that if you haven't seen this before, like, it's what you would maybe expect to come next. It happens, but it's kind of subverts it in just, like, a little way, little bit. Like, um, I just love how, like, the first scene when, like, they turn down the alley in the truck and there's that scene where it starts out with like um essentially like a knife fight <laughs> oh yeah where it's like it seems like they raided a kitchen because there's like cleavers and machetes and then it goes from like a knife fight to like a straight up like gun battle and <laughs> it's just like people getting thrown through windows and just like choreography of it it's like oh yeah totally set up so they could throw that guy out the window and throw him back in the, the storefront and yeah this overall is a real fun movie, and I just this is like essential, like Kurt Russell for me too. I like I love him in like the eighties in this type of role, and um, I know we have like um, we want to do Escape from New York too. I haven't seen that before, so I just recorded it. It's on my DVR, so I'm hoping to get through that here for a first time viewing as well. All right, so. That does it for this movie discussion on Big Trouble in Little China. Um, we are kind of kicking off the John Carpenter run of films we're going to cover. Um, this is kind of going to be a break in between our Stanley Kubrick films just because of some things that have come up You know, with the Time Machine family. We're going to do a short run of John Carpenter movies here. Hopefully then we'll get back to um, Stanley Kubrick. We'll be doing The Shining and Full Metal Jacket. So. Then for John Carpenter films, we're hoping to do um, They Live and Escape from New York next. So you should be hearing those next before we hop into our next round of Kubrick films to uh, stay with the theme of season two of Movies Time Machine, where we are picking a director and doing a run of films and kind of diving into director's films and kind of a little bit of their filmography. And before we go... I uh, just want to let you know that new episodes will drop every Friday on most podcasting platforms. Um, if you like the show, please uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Um, use the comments to um, ask us questions. Uh, we'll read them on the show. Um, you can also, also follow us on Twitter at Movie Machine Pod. Um, you can send us messages on there as well. Um, send us your comments or questions. Uh, we'll read them on the show. And your homework for the next few episodes will be They Live, Escape from New York, The Shining, and Full Metal Jacket. So thank you for joining us for Movie Time Machine. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Here's to the Army and Navy and the battles they have won. Here's to America's colors, the colors that never run. And the wings of liberty never lose a feather.